Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Charlotte Regan. I have a feeling you're really going to enjoy this extract from a classic live episode from our archive with Dunica O'Callaghan and Peter Stringer, two Irish sporting greats. To hear the full hour-long interview and more deep-dive chats with hundreds of the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, along with all our other series, head to Premium Irishman Abroad over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I promise it'll only take you a minute to sign up and for less than a fiver a month you'll gain access to everything and you'll have the confidence of knowing that you helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Our chosen charity partner as always is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity that works to provide young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they'll need to survive this life. Since the pandemic, things have changed and the challenges facing young people have changed tremendously. And as such, Jigsaw has seen a 400% jump in demand for their work, their onlines and their webinars and their one-to-ones. With their phone line and seminars and website, Jigsaw has made a massive difference back home across all communities. But why not take a minute now to visit them and see if maybe they can help you or someone in your life or maybe perhaps you can make a donation and you can help them. That's jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! <laughs> a spontaneous response. Arms folded, I notice. One person didn't applaud. That sounded raucous at home to you guys, but I spotted one person with the arms folded. So we're going to do it again. I'm only kidding. We are here, of course, for this live recording of An Irishman Abroad at the Dublin Podcast Festival, brought to you by Headstuff and Aiken Promotions and the good people here at the Sugar Club. You know why you're here. It's for our brilliant guests, Dunnick O'Callaghan and Peter Stringer. Please give it up. Here they are. Thank you so much for doing this. Are you good? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a bit nervous, world. A little bit nervous. I, I, thought I, I thought the first question I'd ask, because you're, you know, the dust has settled on the rugby-playing life for you. Now that it's done, done, do you look back on it and go, ah, I was addicted to that. That's the only way that that made sense. Yeah, I think so. Looking back on it, we... 
Like we had some unbelievable days and the two of us, we were probably part of a team for, for 20 years and we were, I think, fortunate enough in, in terms of the squad that we had and, and, and the teammates that we had that the culture was there and it became infectious and, and we drove each other on. And, and from that point of view, we, we, we drove, I suppose, the standards in terms of everyday training and it, become, it became, I suppose, like an addiction, like you said. Um, looking back on it now, it was an incredible run, but I'm kind of glad it's done. <laughs> I, I honestly think, Jared, we were really lucky. Because now there's loads of good players, you know what I mean? So, like, whereas, like, we play, well, you were good, to be fair to you, but I was, I was six foot six, and there wasn't many six foot six fellas around, so I could have a bad game, and they were like, yeah, we have to put him back out. We have no one else that's six foot six, like, so just stick him in there. But no. Although Perpignan away. <laughs> That's one of them. That was one where Donica came off the bench and the coach looked at Donica's performance, very, very young kid. And I think, was it, how long did you last before you were taken off again? So what happened? We, we, we were playing Perpignan away. It, it's the most intimidating place you've ever played in your life, isn't it? They actually keep them, the supporters behind a cage. Like it was one of those places. Yep. So I was, I think it was 19 years of age and I came on the pitch and their number eight ran at me, Jar. And with everything I had, I dived into him and I went about, I'd say 20 metres back on my arse. <laughs> and I'd just come on the pitch for Mick O'Driscoll. So I was wearing number 18 and uh, the, the board went up at the touchline and I went number 18 for number 19. <laughs> And the ref went, 18, you're off. And I was there, it couldn't be me, ref. Surely mistake. <laughs> I'm, I'm only on, like, and he was there, oh, I'll check it, so. And he was there, yeah, it is you. And I was there. Like, that never happens in rugby, does it? <laughs> that, that has never, that's happened once, and that was to me. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I ran to the touchline, like, and I sprinted off, because the embarrassment of it. <laughs> And, and Declan Kidney was the coach and he just, as I walked off, he just, he didn't even come over to me and went, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. What, what you, like, what you're left with is all these incredible memories and these incredible achievements. And the addiction that I mentioned is that, is it the achievement you were addicted to or was there some weird addiction to actually the hits and the pain and kind of coming through that. No, not, not for me, no, no. <laughs> I, I avoided that as much as I could. He, this, that's all he was good at, that running into people. And my job was to avoid people. His job was to run into people. So that, yeah, completely different. But he was a bit of a general then in ways, like he would just boss us around. So there's, like, there's team, you'd see it in rugby, there's little huddles. But I actually remember looking up at him in those huddles because he's there to, like, all of us going, what I need you to do right now is this, this. And we're all there like this, okay, Mr. Stringer. <laughs> so he used to kind of boss us around the place best he could. But, uh, yeah, I, I do agree, though, there is little bits of the contacts that I miss. I, something happened, weird thing there, we were walking with the kids down and down the Black Rock Walk down in, in Cork, and there was a fella coming along at a decent pace. <laughs> I have to dr drop a shoulder. Honestly, he was tipping along nicely on a bike, jar, and I was there. I'd love to ram my shoulder into him and just see the damage I could do. And, then, like, and I'm hoping that goes away. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I don't think that has much to do with rugby. <laughs> There's some deeper issues there, I think, is that right? 
that was, was the beauty of rugby. I'd someplace to leave it all out. You know? <laughs> I, I, I got in touch with you after we had our first chat, and uh, some you were still playing at the time. I think you were pretty much tying up the loose ends and doing it. You said that was my last tackle session ever. And then when I got in touch with you again, you said that you couldn't get over what it felt like each morning not to get up and feel like you'd been in a car crash the previous day. And I'd never even really thought about that. But the impacts that you were taking on a daily basis, having not had them for a while, does that sensation of, oh, this is great, I don't feel like shit today, ever wear off? Yeah, it does. Like, <laughs> it does, but you, you've nailed it. That, and there's parts of it, the day after a match, when you've won, you're there like, oh, this is a brilliant soreness. It's brilliant mm. that it takes me 10 minutes to get into the jacks and I have to drag one leg. You know what I mean? Oh, you aren't this feeling. But when you lose, you're like, oh, this is so awful. My poor life. My leg will never recover. So, uh, you know, the, you obviously, as you said, you didn't have the, the impact. But the, in that way, then, there must have been, like, you're obviously still making tackles. I mean, but not... You weren't... He's lying. He's lying. Because, like, he used to always... He is, though. He used to always try to prove himself. And he used to actually annoy us all. Because they'd go... Um, they'd always say, get into positions, like... Or get with guys your same heights and weight. I couldn't find anyone. <laughs> <laughs> there was Fiona Murphy. That was about it. <laughs> the only one around the squad. But uh, strings would always come in with the front five. And we're all like, oh, no. Because... He never wanted to, like, he was always trying to show us that he wouldn't leave us down nearly. But, and then we would always be kind of nodding and winking just to get through the session, or he'd be trying to rip us apart. And it actually. Because I, I knew I had to give everything in my being, my f- 100% attitude, my strength to try and compete with G on, on 50%. So I knew that if I went in half assed, I'd just. They'd spit me out the back and mm. end up 20 metres behind. I'll never forget, we went to Worcester and Dunica was at Worcester. My last six months of playing rugby was at Worcester. Defensive coach. The most mindless sessions I've ever done in my career, honestly. There's guys, you, you put these tackle suits on for, for padding so that you're not bruised and physically damaged at the end of a training session. And there's two guys, so there's a line of players. It could be 20 players lined up, single file, and there's two guys tackling. And your job to help the defense is you run straight into these two guys. It's like the last thing I would do on a pitch ever, let alone run into one guy, but you run straight in between two guys to give them an opportunity to get their technique right. Mm -hmm. You run into two front row guys, it could be 18, 19 stones. You're looking at nearly 40 stone of just hitting you as hard as they possibly could. And this is just like, it's like a carousel. You're going around, around, around. This could be for 40 minutes and it just, it was like playing butcher with sumo wrestlers. That's what it was. But in, 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 a, in a two meter wide channel, so there's nowhere to go. I mean, this is obviously a level of professionalism that wasn't there the very beginning when the two of you headed in. Professionalism was just kind of in its infancy, right, in, in the country. You two, do you become friends instantly? Or uh, does it We're take still, we're still working that? on that. You're yeah. still working. <laughs> We're really lucky that rugby was was great to kind of bond us, you know what I mean, as kind of friends. But like then there was other moments, like strings. You were the first person I went out in the car with on my own, you know that kind of way. There's stuff this, like this, that. This roundabout in Cork, the Kinsale Road roundabout. I don't know if anyone knows this. Just at the bottom of the hill before you go up to the airport. Don't the first time he was ever out in a car. 
on the road. On my own. It's like National Lampoons. You're going around and around and around and waiting for that exit, that opportunity to go. This little Jimny, Suzuki Jimny Jeep, yeah. It was like Donkey Kong inside. I remember I was, I was dropping strings home and it, to be fair to me, he was there, listen, I'll come back because I don't think you'll make it on your own and I'll just, I'll get a taxi from your house. <laughs> like, <laughs> So you were, going, just to get this clear, you were going around the roundabout because you couldn't find the perfect opportunity to leave it. Exactly. That's it. And he, you see, he got that within like 10 seconds. And he was getting so grumpy over that. He was there, there's the exit. I was there, I know that's the exit. But there's a car whipping around the corner here and I don't think I'm going to make it. So you're like a... Some a, guy who's ready to drop a shoulder into the fella running down the, the runway. And he should have went with you, Jar. <laughs> He's afraid of crossing lanes. Oh Lord! Like so, so the like all I'm picturing is the kid who won't jump into the skipping rope. That uh, you're on the. So does it, this pass at all, or is driving still an issue? No, no it's not. But uh, sorry, I don't know how we got to that point. But it was, <laughs> it was like they're the moments. And like last night, I caught up with a few lads as well. And you just pick up a relationship. Like we wouldn't probably seen each other in a few weeks, but it's. It's, it's brilliant, like, we kind of, we don't need to fill the space with rubbish or mm. anything. You just have a, a unique, special relationship. There's a kind of bond. Oh, well, like, you said that he's a bully out there, right? That, you know, your job was to, as you said in your book, to march lads to where they needed to be and to send them into battle in front of you. I mean, does that ever... Like, we've heard about it with uh, Johnny Sexton, that sometimes lads just get to the point where I can't listen to this lad. Yeah, well, look, in, in my position that I played in, I would never have made it if I, if I didn't find a voice. I'm a very, very quiet, shy, introverted person, you know, away from, from rugby and the rugby field. And, you know, I suppose when I came into a monster setup, when you had the likes of Mick Galway, Peter Clossy, Alan Quinlan, Anthony Foley, Donica, these guys... I remember the coaches telling me, you need to learn to find a bark. Mm. You need to be that voice. You need to direct these guys because they're, they're fairly stupid at the, the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> but, in, but in saying that, if I didn't have a voice on the field, then as a, as a scrum half, I, I, I wouldn't have made it. I, I needed to have that. I needed to have that, I suppose, control over them. And that was a way to gain their, their mm. respect. You know, you, you show to the likes of Claw and you kind of, the first time you're, you're kind of, what's, what's he going to do to me here? But in, in the end, he's got that respect for you because you kind of nearly stand, stand up to him. And it never went into, it never got to, like, I guess what I'm asking is, have you ever fallen out? We know all about the friendship. Oh, we, we'd have loads, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, so, Con played Shannon in, uh, what was that, a charity cup match? The Development League game in, I'd say, 1999 in yeah. Musgrave Park. Musgrave Park, and I, I came around the corner to carry a ball, and uh, Strings was right in front of me, so I was I, like... I was playing with Shannon, you were playing for... Well done, you. Oh, you see, there's the detail, that's where you're at. <laughs> so, I was, we were against each other, as he said there. So, I'd come around the corner, just... And, like, you look at the, like, I think it was, like, Eddie Halvey, Anthony Foley, all these unbelievable players, Marcus Horn. I was there, like, oh, no, no, no. Peter Stringer, you lovely. I'm going to run at him. <laughs> so, got so excited that I was going to think, ball just slapped off my face and fell onto the ground. And I was so frustrated, I just kept running at him anyway. And I remember I picked him up, 
and I'd say he landed maybe 40 unanswered punches, but like just laid all these punches on me, and all I could do, Jar, was just throw him away. It was there like, ah! Oh, wait, so, he, so you're carrying him while he's punching you? Yeah, right. It was the closest thing to Scrappy-Doo you've ever seen in your life. He just... <laughs> and like... <laughs> I think, yeah, it was just... You were in utter disbelief more than anything else. And well, if it's just a slagging from everyone else... Like, you would have been the bad guy. A Brian, a famous Irish manager, Brian O'Brien, when we first started with the Irish team, and Shannon Mann, and an absolute unbelievable character. And he said to me one day, he said, do you know what? It's your lack of size that keeps you alive. <laughs> and it's so true. It's like, you know, Don- Donica, in that situation, if I was any bigger, he would have just flattened me and laid me out. But because of the size difference, he's the bad guy if he hits me. Exactly. So I got away with so much in my career. Because <laughs> of my lack of size. I do want to get to, I'm like, I feel like when I was getting ready for this, I was like, well, there's so many things that you've been asked about so many times. You must get sick of answering certain questions about certain games and about certain times. And we, I do still want to ask you a, a couple of questions about things that you've spoken about before. But I don't think you've talked much about where you are at this moment in time. So before we get to that, Dancing with the Stars has said that you're their dream contestant, Duncan. <laughs> and Peter, you've been through it. You've, you've gone through it and done really don't, well. Don't, don't, Thank don't, you. Thank don't you. do that. Can, can, no. <laughs> I, it like... can, you, can you, first of all, tell us what that experience was like and then sell it to Dunica because I know every single person in well, this I, room I'll tell you, wants I'll to tell see you that happen. Before I actually started the dancing, I said... If anyone's partner here ever comes to them with the idea and suggests you spend three months up close and personal with a professional dancer, you take that opportunity and you run with it. And you don't question it whatsoever. So my wife convinced me to do the show. Um, I moved to Dublin and it was one of the toughest things I had ever, ever done. In what sense? Three months, eight hours a day without a day off, rehearsing. And it wasn't compulsory, it was either that or you make a complete idiot right. yourself live on TV on a Sunday. Three months, eight hours a day. <laughs> eight hours a day, no days off. I mean, like, they wouldn't even, there's no sport that would recommend that. No, there's not. And, and it's not all, it's, it's learning steps, it's not all, you know, physically dancing. And, and for me, I had, had no rhythm. I came out at the end of it with no rhythm. I, I couldn't dance if you were planning on asking me to dance right here now. Um, I could learn steps and, and that's what I was, I was regimented in terms of my, my analysis of what I was doing and I was just so determined in that regard. But there's nothing you can do if you just, like they're, they're telling me loosen your shoulders and loosen your hips. I spent 20 years building my shoulders up to have a strength in them to deal with guys like him running straight at me. <laughs> yeah. And they're just saying, just, just relax your shoulders a small bit. And I'm like, you've no idea how hard this is. Can unlearn this. So that was the major issue with your dancing was that you couldn't loosen up. Yeah, that and a few others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two left feet. But. So like, I mean, Donnicky, you look like a really kind of agile, flexible person who could... <laughs> 
drop some splits right here if we asked you to do it. Why? What's the reluctance? He has been asked. He has yeah, been what's the reluctance to do it? And it, I think I'm a little bit more clearer than strings about it. I know, unlike he, he probably thought I could get good, and we all saw him oh, so didn't, yeah. being brutal. Like, I spent every Sunday night like this going, oh, jeez, no strings. No, no, <laughs> Oh, jeez, someone just knock him out, please, please. <laughs> and, like... I know. I, I was thinking exactly the same. Please, <laughs> please. But it's. Um, I just know I wouldn't get better. I just like we've had speed coaches. <laughs> we've we had a brilliant speed coach, Tom Cummins, and it, like he he first the speed session he just assessed all of us. So he just got us all to run. <laughs> I remember I came back and he was there. I I actually can't do anything to help you. You know what I mean? He was there like there is so much wrong with your running technique. That it's just a waste of time going over stuff. He was there, could, could you do this? Could you just do it all faster? And I was there, I, yeah, I, I think I could. And he's there, come on, do that. <laughs> and that was, that was the end of the chat with the speed coach for me. Like, so. like you have spoken about that. Like there's this, that's a coach, obviously, at some point in your career where they brought in speed coaches. But you said, Dunica, that you look back on some of the training that was going on in the beginning and go... What the hell were we doing? We were going for a three and a half k run. It was of no benefit to anyone. When you look back on that and you see this Joe Schmidt regime where it was down to the finest detail, what do you think about it? And how do you feel about these players that were subjected to this when clearly even if it was a three and a half k run and even if it was a little bit ramshackle in the beginning, there seemed to be a lot more joy in rugby at that time. Yeah, there certainly was. Like we, the, you're right, the training methods were probably... Like, we, we probably did the groundwork for them in terms of... Like, everyone collects data, and that was the big thing. All the players were GPS units. But it isn't until you actually know what the measurement you're looking for. So when, when they all started, we used to compete for metres. Who could run the most, which is the most ridiculous stat you can have in rugby. The big stat for my position that's probably different for strings was repeated high intensity efforts. So how many boats or how many little exertions I could have in eight seconds. Mm-hmm. And that was the measurement. But like, we didn't know that when we were doing 5k runs and we thought we were the best, uh, you know, at it. But You were treating it like a Fitbit. Yeah, that was pretty much it. But we were massively competitive. But we just probably needed upskilling and education and I suppose that's what guys have now and they have it from a younger age I think mm. if you look at like I went to give the jerseys out in Christians last year and, and they're all monsters now 18 year olds are all monsters I'm there like this best of luck in the cup final <laughs> best of luck in, I feel like you you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, but I, I wouldn't change the string. Some of those sessions just brought us together, though, as a, as a group, just being in a black hole, a horrible, horrible spot that made absolutely no sense. Yeah, there's going to be sessions like that. And, and we started in a time where, like Donica said, it was nearly archaic looking back on it now in, in terms of I was doing the same type of training that Donica was doing. So that, like, that makes no sense in terms of, yeah. you know, you're trying to get power out of guys' strength development in, in, uh, over pre-season um, now it's all refined in terms of so my game would, would have always been really you know a, a constant kind of a three-quarter pace throughout the game so my position and the wingers would normally cover the most distance on the field and, and for me it was about that constant 
constant speed running around for, for 80 minutes, where as wingers you'd have, you'd have 50 meter efforts and then you, might, you mightn't be running for another maybe minute or, or, or 90 seconds. So for, for these guys, their, a lot of their fitness work might have been you know, hitting tackle pads and, and hitting the deck because they would have been in rucks. So all of this kind of scientific approach you know, really changed how we prepared and, and the fitness training we did was based on what we were going to be doing in games and the fitness drills would last you know maybe 90 seconds or three minutes depending on the game the, 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 the time that the ball was in play during games so all of this was all there's guys sitting with laptops on the side of, of the pitch at training sessions monitoring all of this so it's the way the game has gone now it's it's incredible it loads us be that old school guy you know that gives the oh sure if we had all that we you know that we would have won all round us look at that yeah. we used to have we in our gym in our gym in cork we didn't have two 27 kg dumbbells like there was a there was a 25 and a 32 like so you had the it was stuff like that and now you see them in this beautiful gym and you're there yeah we won two european cups with that <laughs> you say that but when eddie o'sullivan came in what the idea was that he was this super forward thinker and that he had actually applied a lot of teachings from other sports and he was more analytical than anyone who'd come before him and yet that defeat that you guys suffered at that World Cup with him I mean it does match up with this defeat at this World Cup in terms of the expectation being so high the hype was machine was like this is gonna this is it i think this one's way worse can we <laughs> can we can we, can we deflect from our one yeah. and just put yeah, yeah. it all on them like no i reread the chapter in the book today where you said Dunica, that when you got back to the airport they tried to sneak you out the back door of the airport and that there was a real sense that you had brought that it was kind of implied that you brought shame that through all this effort, nobody tried any less hard, but that somehow it was shameful, yeah. all that effort. Do you then look at these lads now and what they're going through and just feel more empathy for them than anybody else in this audience could ever know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you put us to the wall here. <laughs> but you, you, you do, but you're kind of glad they, that someone else shares a scar. I know, I know that sounds really harsh, but you don't, you, you've no idea how much work goes into it. You don't know how much players give it. And then when you come up that short, you, you just carry it forever. And it actually fuels you in ways. But you need to, you need to have moments like that to actually nearly use it as the fuel and you see them coming back and you're there like that's a scar they'll always have i know it because i've won as well from that that world cup in 07 but i remember there was a, a, a what was that report called that we had to do with genesis report oh yeah and they sat us down and they went through everything from nutrition teddy o'sullivan to, and i remember crying at it there was two people in front of me and i was bawling my, i was there like do you think we didn't try? <laughs> Do you think we didn't want to win for Ireland? So these were like KPMG type consultant people in suits with you in a tracksuit. Really? That's what it was. That's what I'm picturing. Am I wrong? Well, yeah, exactly. Not really with, much, yeah. With a six foot six man baby in front of him going, <laughs> I tried. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's, um, it's not funny. It's still there. It's still... 
and you still you still think you know, what what happened and and why all of a sudden because we in that cycle as well we had you know the build up to it in zero five zero six and and with with the provinces with Munster we were winning in two thousand and six and going into two thousand and seven Six Nations we were you know in a really really good place and and for whatever reason we trained and we went to Poland this. We were there a few years, and you know, this Poland, this uh, kind of Eastern European training facility from the 60s, 70s, really kind of outdated. But you go there, and there's nothing else to do but but to train and to do cryotherapy twice a day. So we had about three or four sessions. You're up at six. You don't finish till seven or eight in the evening. So we had that in in the build up, and we honestly. That's an environment that the two of us actually loved in terms of you get up and, and you just want to train and you focus for three weeks. That's all you can do. And, and we were slightly obsessed, a little bit more obsessive about it than probably a lot of other guys. But we couldn't have been... There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost 60 minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irish Man Abroad episodes and shows, join us on patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad. Help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events. And for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicker Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees over at patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad i want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer as always brian Connolly, to tina and mikey for making it all possible and finally to our chosen charity partner jigsaw jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in ireland now more than ever they could do with your support go to jigsaw.ie to see their great work get some help with the young people in your life or maybe through a donation you can help them